Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise to create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today. This is Kevin Brooker, and we are cruising through retirement. On today's show, we're going to outline several reasons why your retirement plan needs to be robust as we face 2022 head on. We're going to give you the details just ahead. Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with more than 30 years experience. He's helped thousands of people cruise through retirement, and he'd be happy to help you too. Stick around for today's adventure on Cruising Through Retirement. Welcome in, everybody. This is Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is a fiduciary and investment advisor representative. Silverleaf Financial is where you find him. The website, jot this down, silverleaffinancial.com. You're going to want to refer to that. And uh, Kevin's been helping folks for more than 30 years getting to and through retirement. And, uh, you know, you've uh, you've established some uh, some pretty interesting things and, and philosophies and strategies. And and hi, how are you, Kevin? <laughs> hey, Steve, I, I am good. I'm uh, always good to be here. Yeah. They, well, and again, I, I'm serious when I say that you've got strategies and you've got insight, you've got, you bring so much to the table. And, and I think that's why, you know, this this podcast is a great venue, a great way for you to share that. And, and I know that education is a key part of what you really enjoy doing. It, it really is. You know what? And, and and I'm glad you mentioned the website because I'd like, you know, everyone, please go check out the website, silverleaffinancial.com. You know, we put a lot of resources up there and a lot of material to help educate. You get the education you're looking for and to learn about the topics you're interested in. Um, we've got videos. We've, I've got all sorts of resources, a lot of information on retirement accounts, uh, Roth retirement accounts, you name it. There's information on the website. Uh, and every week we put up a new podcast. And I think it's a I think it's a good way to listen to somebody you know, you can do it at your own convenience in your home 24-7. Uh, and I think it's a good way to size somebody up and see if they might be a good fit for you. You know, just like just like you, you know, I used to do the seminar presentations, right? Lunch and dinner, things like that. Sure. And aside from the free steak or free meal, I think uh, I think a lot of people like to go to them because of that. It gives them an opportunity to listen to a person, hear their philosophy and see if they're a good match for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I, I think the podcasts are a great way to do that. And I've had a lot of people mention it to me as well. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys are enjoying them. Oh, good. And uh, well, you know, you got my attention. We talk about a robust, uh, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be active or, you know, have a robust plan going into 2022. There's a lot of unknowns that are, that are out there. And I think topping the list has got to be inflation. It's a, it's a yes. real, it's a real thing right now. And, and it hasn't been for such a long time. 
No question. No, you know, I think we get lulled in, you know, you can, it's easy to get lulled into a sense of complacency when things are just kind of, you know, plugging along at one or 2% for a long, long time. Uh, and then with everything that happened with COVID and the pandemic and factories shutting down and you know, basically entire countries shutting down, uh, everything we're seeing in terms of inflation, uh, you know, the 99% of it, in my opinion, is due to the pandemic shutdown and the COVID shutdown and companies are wrapping, you know, ramping back up. But, you know, we've seen all these bottlenecks with supplies. We've heard all heard about the container ships, you know, stuck off the coast. They couldn't dock. And then and then when they do, you don't know if you've got enough truckers to actually deliver all the goods because a lot of the truckers are out sick due to COVID protocols as well. Mm -hmm. So so it hit the entire supply chain. Um, hopefully things will be back, you know, let's say back to normal, if, they, if we can still say that. Um, you know, we're hoping by like summertime, May, June, July, somewhere in there is where most analysts think we'll be. In other words... That's the point at which we expect to see the price increases stop or slow down. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean prices are going to go back to where they were two, three years ago. I, I think all of us wish they would. Uh, but I seriously, I doubt that's going to happen. But they shouldn't continue to go up at this 6 7% rate that we've been seeing, uh, which is really the highest, I think, since 1980, if, uh, if I remember correctly. So it's the highest we've seen in 40 years, which is a lifetime for a lot of folks. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, it is for, for a lot of folks. They think about that. And, the, uh, you know, I think we had a discussion early on when, when inflation first started to sort of show itself. And the Fed came out and said, well, this inflation thing, it's, it's transitory. Think right, of, what the right. heck does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, you know, and then there's a part of me that says, you know what, I bet they chose that word specifically because it's so ambiguous. Yes, you know? I think you're right. It's, you know, it's like, it's like, heck, we don't know how long it's going to be. Let's just say it's transitory. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, and then everybody's like, well, okay, how do you define transitory? Is that, you know, like a couple of months? Is that a couple of years? And, and so, well, we know now that it's not, uh, it didn't happen as quickly, right? Inflation didn't slow down as quickly as most of us think that the Fed had uh, originally, you know, assumed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it's good that they removed that language. The latest Fed meeting that we just had this past week, you know, Powell and the committee, um, you know, the central bank committee, they removed that language of transitory finally, which a lot of people have been calling for them to do. Uh, and they've announced that they're going to speed up their bond tapering program. And, and for those of you that have been following along closely, you know that uh, the central bank in the United States has been, you know, on the one hand, they, they print the dollar bill. And on the other hand, they use the dollar bill to buy our own bonds. And by doing that, they, and they were doing, well, I think it was $120 billion a month in bonds. And so they've been doing this to, to keep interest rates down, you know, because that buying pressure, you know, drives up the price and it drives down the yield. Because bonds always, you know, there's an inverse relationship between the price and the yield. And they d did it very deliberately. Um, you know, but at this point, when we have an economy growing at seven and eight percent, you know, most people say, you know what, they don't need to be artificially supporting the bond market anywhere anymore. So it's it's actually a good sign that they're re that they're increasing the rate, you know, of of the taper. So they're so they're going to slow down faster, faster, right? If that okay. makes any sense. Sure. Um, so in other words, it, it looks like it's going to be maybe March or April when they've stopped completely and they're not purchasing these bonds anymore. Um, and then that's when we get into the, into the, you know, the two-step, if you will. A lot of people think they're going to finish the taper and then a couple of months after that, uh, start to raise interest rates. But that's where it gets tricky, guys, because nobody really knows if it's going to be sequential. And, you know, there's nothing that says that they can't start raising interest rates while at the same time tapering. I don't see why they couldn't do that if they wanted to. Uh, but that would spook the markets. And because the markets are expecting the first interest rate increase, 
uh, the probabilities, I think, go over, go above 50% when you get around May or June. And so, so it's looking like right now, like I just mentioned, that the taper will stop and then maybe a month or two months later, they'll start to increase rates. And the expectation is for them to increase rates a quarter of a point, though, guys. And, and the consensus right now is for three interest rate hikes. So we're talking about raising interest rates by 0.75%, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not, this isn't going to take us back to, you know, getting, you know, 7 or 8% on a bond. Um, that's, I don't know that that's ever going to happen, to be honest. And I think, you know what, the other thing you want to think about is the fact that, the, that we've heard a lot of talk about the national debt, right? Well, on the positive side, the interest that the government is paying, in other words, the taxpayers are paying on all this debt, the interest is lower because the interest rates are lower, Right. So, so that's about the only positive I can, I can see with it all. Um, but I think it's a mistake for people to say, I want to sit in cash and wait for them to raise rates so I can maybe get a better interest rate on a bank CD or something. To me, that's a mistake because I don't know, there's no way of knowing how long it's going to take. And there's no way of knowing how much they're going to raise rates. And you could wind up sitting in cash, missing out on a lot of opportunities for, for an interest rate that might be a half a point or three quarters of a point higher. Uh, you know, maybe a year from now. Sure. And so I think there's a lot better things you could do with your money. <laughs> exactly. Well, one would be just to sit down with you and have a conversation, see if it makes sense. That's exactly right. That's where we start. That's where we start. You know what? And and I never charge a fee. I don't charge for a phone call and I don't charge for a, for an office meeting. Um, you know, I used to, I tell everybody, I used to have an accountant and I got so annoyed that every, I would have a five minute phone call and I'd get a bill in the mail two days later. <laughs> Goodness. You know, I'm like, that's come on, like that's like the it is. It's terrible. It's like definition of nickel and, you know, nickel and dime in me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I said the heck with that. I don't like it. I didn't care for it. And so I decided I don't want to run my practice that way either. All right. And so, you know, so the best thing you can do is we start off with a phone call. It can be a couple minutes. It could be a couple hours. All depends on what you want to do. Uh, I'm happy to have conversations over the phone. That's how I did most of my business. If you go you know, back in the day in the nineties. Um, but I do have offices on both sides of the Valley. I've got one in Scottsdale on the East side. And on the West side, I've got one in surprise. And I'm happy to sit down with anybody that would like to chat. All right. 800-975-6717. That's the number you can call, folks. 800-975-6717. And, and again, go to silverleaffinancial.com. You can connect with Kevin that way as well. You can send him an email. Plus, I think once you're on that website, you'll find there's a lot of great information there. And and so with inflation in mind, Kevin, and our retirement getting ever so much closer, um, yes. how do we how do we prepare for that? What can we do to, to sort of, I don't want to say that, but I mean, how, how do we deal with that from a retirement standpoint? You know what? I think it's a really good question, Steve. And I think it's important that people take a look. Um, and, and it's like everything else. We want to be diversified, right? We want to spread out the risk in case something unexpected happens or in case we're wrong in our hypothesis. Sure. And But one of the things that you can do, one of the things that I've been doing is buying tips. Tips are treasury inflation protected securities. Okay. Tell me and, about that. What, what are they? And so, well, these are treasury bonds that protect against inflation because the principal amount increases when inflation goes up. And, I, and to give you guys an idea, what I, I've, I like the short-term tips, which are zero to five years of maturity. Um, and right now, you can, you can get about 3.7%, 3.8% on those. And granted, that's, it, you know, it's not a huge number, but when you compare it to the half a point you get at your bank or that's your 1%, what I was just thinking, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a pretty good number. And, and so I do have, I own them personally for the record, um, you know, and um, I think that's one, one idea to take a look at. Regular tips are longer term in, in maturity. Short term tips are, like I said, zero to five years. So that is one way that you can get a higher interest rate 
on your money during periods uh, of uh, increasing inflation. So are you seeing that or are you sort of suggesting that to clients at this point? Oh, I have been. I, oh, I have own been. Them. Okay. I, I, I own them right, right now for many different clients. Um, I own the short-term tips in their portfolio uh, as one, as one invest. It's just one piece of a puzzle, right? Oh, of course. And, and, and so, but I do own them. As I mentioned, I own them personally uh, in my corporate account. I actually own short-term tips and I own them for, for a lot of clients. Um, you know, and then some of the other things you can do that, that I've been doing are, are dividend stocks. And one of the reasons that, that I like the dividend stocks is that if we've, if we've got one, it's a hedge against inflation because you do have income coming into you. You've got a nice income stream. Plus, you should have appreciation from the underlying security. Uh, but the other reason that I like the dividends and I've been gravitating more towards those in the last in the last several months is because I think there's a good chance we could wind up with a sideways market. Because if you if, if you guys look at the stock market. Uh, even with the volatility we've had lately, we're still sitting on north of a 20% return in the major indexes, which is a phenomenal year. That's like two, some people say three years of gains in one year. So if you think about that, you say, what if we did have three years of gains in just this one year? What does that mean? And say, so, well, it could mean the market either drops to get back to a more reasonable valuation because the valuation is high by historical standards, you know, or it could kind of trade sideways you know, up, you know, up a couple hundred, down a couple hundred, up or a couple thousand, whatever the number might be. But what I'm saying is if we don't see any forward progress out of the market in the next 12 or 18 months or two years, I'm not forecasting that. If, but if that does happen, then at least you're going to be receiving those dividends. And, and there's a lot of them out there that right now you can get four and five percent dividends on some good stocks, good investments. Uh, I've got some that are paying six and seven percent dividends that have also appreciated eight, 10, 12 percent for the year. Wow. So, so that's a win-win. It, it is. It's been in, in many ways. It's been a great year, you know. And and I'll give you guys one one name that I like that I do also own personally uh, is Glaxo. Glaxo Smith Klein symbols GSK. It's trading in the low to mid forties, forty three or so, and it's paying almost a five percent dividend. Wow. Um, so <clears> that's one. It's got a good valuation. It's not overvalued like a lot of the rest of the market. It's in the pharmaceutical space, if you guys are familiar with it. Mm -hmm. It is not appropriate for everybody, and I'm not recommending purchase without talking to anybody. Uh, I'm just letting you know I'm giving you an example of something that I do own and something that I think will appreciate as well as pay a nice dividend. All right. And so if you guys would like ideas like that, that's, that's the type of thing, one of the things that I've been also buying for my clients. And, and again, yeah. that, that's the kind of thing where, well, I mean, that's why you have clients that, you've been, that have been with you for 20 plus years. Or 25 years, I think, in some cases. That's that, yes, that that is that's totally true, and that's something that I mentioned to that I like to mention to folks. One thing that we're allowed to do now, guys, is we can give you testimonials. We weren't supposed to do that before, um, but the the SEC and the regulators have decided, you know, it's okay. Which I'm really glad because I think it's a good way to find out, you know, to get some feedback on on what an advisor has done for his clients without necessarily talking to them. So you can get so you can look at testimonials. I've got several pages of testimonials. Where what I did is I sent I sent a letter to my clients and I told them what I would like to do and I asked them if they'd be willing to share share some feedback on their experience with me, and a bunch of them came back and said they'd be happy to and they wrote me much longer uh, testimonials than I even expected. I thought they'd be maybe two three sentences. Some of these some of them wrote a couple paragraphs, and uh, and I've got those. I'm happy to share them with anybody. And the other thing that I asked my clients to do is I asked for their permission to use their full name and city and state that they live in. And I wanted to do that because I want people to know these are real. They're genuine, real people that you can Google and look up and you can tell if they're a real person. 
I don't want you to think this is something like these commercials on television that say, hey, John from New York says so-and-so, right? Right. You know, and, and you know, Jose from LA, it's like, really? Um, you know, and I never personally believe those. I don't know about, I don't know about anybody well, else. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, but I, I want to see their full name and, and, get, and let me look it up and make sure it's at least a, a real person. Um, you know, so that's one thing, but you know what, guys, the other thing I have, if you're serious about finding an advisor and you'd really like to get some feedback, I've got clients that are up that have offered to have a phone conversation with you. All right. One in Arizona here has been a client of me for 10 years, basically the whole time. He's one of the first clients I, that I met when I came out, moved out here uh, in 2011 with my wife. And, and he is willing to have a phone conversation just between you and him. I won't be on the phone call where you can ask him anything you want. And, and he'll give you his, his opinion. I have to think that, um, you know, he, he wouldn't be offering to do this, obviously, if he, if he doesn't you know, have, a, have a good opinion. Um, and, and for the record, he's also recently referred his daughter to me. So, so I think what you, when you're looking for an advisor, if, if their advisor has clients that have been with them for years and years and years, and those clients refer their own family members to them, I believe that is the best testament that anybody could give. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you've got a couple generations of, of people, right, of families? Yes, yes, I do. I do. And because mo mo most of my clients, you know, I focus on the retirement space. And, and a lot of my clients are in their, you know, might be in their 70s when, when they first meet me, or they could be in their 60s. And a lot of them, because of that, now they're in their you know mid 80s, and and so they've uh, they are re they've been retired for quite a while, and they refer their kids, and 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 so their kids you know might be 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 years old, 55, um, uh, that entire range actually, and, and so but those are generally the youngest people that I work with. I do work with uh, even younger folks. I've got background in college planning as well, um, where there are ways you can save money on college tuition, things like that. But for the most part. Um, yes, it is a focus on retirement planning. Well, and again, that's, that is not something that every advisor does either. And, and to, to be able to have that niche and, and to have done it for as long as you have, boy, you've seen, you know, major changes, but at the same time, you've learned so much from what's happened in the past that you could help get us to the future. No question about it. No question. And I think, and I think it's important that we, that people have that perspective, right? Is that, you know, when you when you have the experience, you've gone through the ups and downs and, 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 and you you've got a better background. It's not your first rodeo, so to speak. And, and that person should be able to give you better advice because of the life experiences. So I think when you're when somebody's looking for an advisor, it's important to look at their experience and it's important to look at to look at what they are actually licensed to to recommend or to participate in, because a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the securities brokers, the, guy, the, the men and women at the brokerage firms, the big names that you know, recommend investments in the stock market, a lot of them are only licensed for the stock market. And so if you say you're thinking about insurance or an annuity, they're not even licensed to talk about it. All right. And in a lot of cases, they'll say, well, why in the world do you want to do that? You know, and they'll give you a reason not to do it. And it might be because I say might be because they're not licensed to do it. And the same thing is true on the opposite side. Insurance agents and a lot of annuity agents, they're not licensed for securities or for the stock market. And so I think it's important that, that you ask those questions and ask them if they are licensed, because I think it's going to give you an, a, a better idea of their answer you know, and their recommendations. Um, you know, if they're not licensed, I think that tells you, you know, that tells you a lot about the person. Sure. If they're, if, you know, if, in terms of their recommendations. So I think it's important, you know, I always, I always tell people, Steve, you know, it's not like when you're shopping for a car and you see the Ford dealership sign, you pull in the parking lot, you see all the Mustangs and the Broncos and everything else that's Ford. The person that you meet, he comes out or she comes out and it probably says Ford on their shirt, right? Probably so, yes. So you know, you know 
that somebody at the Ford dealership is probably not going to recommend you go buy a Chevy or a Dodge or, you know, a Tesla, right? Right. You know that. But with, with brokers, with advisors, insurance agents, it's not so easy to see because it's typically not like that. And so um, it's important that you ask and that you're familiar with it. And it's also important that you ask whether they're a fiduciary. Okay, because a lot, a lot of stockbrokers, a lot of the biggest brokerage firms, they are not fiduciaries and the management doesn't want them to be a fiduciary because that they think that gives them a lot more liability risk. And the answer is it probably does, because it's a higher standard. It's the highest standard we have. And so one thing I would want to know is why wouldn't you want to work with somebody that's uh, upholding the highest standard? And, and so I think I think everybody should ask themselves that question. If your advisor is not a fiduciary, are they always putting your interests first? And because that's what it's about, right? It's about putting your interests ahead of ours, ahead of the companies, ahead of everybody. You're, the, the, the client should come first in all cases. And, and I think that if you have somebody that's upholding a fiduciary standard, that's your best chance that you'll find somebody that's truly looking out for your interests. Sure. Well, and I mean, there's always broker check, right? I mean, you can find out yeah. a lot about people just there or even just do a Google well, search on their name. You can find you, out a lot about them. And, and, and I know that, you know, I do a segment for some, for one of the shows I do locally uh, that <laughs> that's called brokers behaving badly. And, and there are some bad people out there. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. The thing, broker check won't tell you if they're, if they're a fiduciary. Right, it won't. Um, but it will tell you, it will give you insight into other situ in, into other areas. Um, and I think that it's, you, you know, there's no question, no question. And, 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 I, I, and I can hear my old sales manager from when I was first training as a rookie broker saying, why in the world would you talk about a bad broker, right? Right. Because they don't, they're like, no, don't talk about that. that. Why would you bring that up? But the fact is every industry, every profession, there are good actors and there are bad actors. Oh, you know, sure. There, there are good doctors and bad doctors, right? There are good lawyers and bad lawyers. And unfortunately, there are good financial advisors. And unfortunately, there are bad ones too. And, you know, and I, I, every week I see another story about somebody running some sort of Ponzi scheme or something, um, you know, and, and the reality is, I think you, that one thing you guys, you know, the, we've heard all before, if it sounds too good to be true, in most cases it is. Um, generally speaking, the Ponzi schemes, they offer you, they offer guaranteed returns that are above anything else in the marketplace. And so that should be a red flag. If you have anybody like right now, the highest fixed rates that I can find are 3% on a five-year guarantee. So five years, you guaranteed 3%. That's about the highest that's available that's out there. Sure. And, you know, you get a little bit more if you go out to 10 years, to me, it's not worth it. Um, but if you know that interest rates, if you know the highest rates are around 3%, and you've got somebody saying they're going to guarantee you seven or eight. You need to step back and say, what exactly is going on here? And, <laughs> yeah. and you need to do right. You need to do a lot of homework to find out. Um, and when they, if, if anybody talks to you about promissory notes, my suggestion is to leave. Don't because promissory notes are one of the biggest culprits in Ponzi schemes and scams. All right. And so you want to be very, very, very careful. I don't recommend them, period. I say avoid them at all costs. I've rarely seen a promissory note that was worth taking the time, let alone investing your money. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. So you mentioned real estate a second ago, and that that sort of made me think, is that is it time to, to think about real estate? Or if we're sort of on the fence, is this a good time to get in? Or is it a better time to get out? Oh, my gosh. You know, that is the million-dollar question okay. for sure. All right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So I wish I had the answer to that, believe me. 
Um, you know what? In, the, in Phoenix and in Arizona, this one has been one of the fastest appreciating markets in the country with real estate. I mean, it's. I was looking online at some properties last week. I just like to look and, and stay up on these things. And I like to look at the listings. And then I look at the purchase history, right? Where you can see what they bought it for right. a few years ago. There's a lot of houses out here that they were selling for like five, five fifty, two, three years ago. And you know where they're at now? 900. Oh my gosh. And I've said, wait a second, this thing is up 60% in three years. And so in my opinion, if that's the type of situation you're looking at, then I would avoid it. I would stay back and, and I wouldn't, I, it doesn't mean it can't go higher. Right. But, but to me, it feels like it, it feels to me like we're at the top end of the market. Um, now it's, it's impossible to know because these things are all subject to so many different, you know, economic factors, mm -hmm. but to, but to me, real estate seems like it's priced pretty high. Um, and, and I feel like if interest rates actually do start to go higher, that's going to push down, that's going to suppress the demand, you know, uh, and for, for mortgages, right? Because if interest rates go higher, that means you can afford less house, right? Right. Uh, so to me, the setup and the environment we're looking at doesn't look the best to me. Um, to, and I'm talking about owning individual single family homes, things like that. Sure. Right. Um, the way that I like to do real estate is through publicly traded investments. It could be through real estate investment trusts. It could be any number of ways. Sometimes you get into different taxation issues, though. So make sure you're aware of that. Um, you know, when you get into a real estate investment trust, they could work. Um, some of them have worked very well. I prefer the ones that trade publicly. Uh, I've done private, like a lot of people have done private investments. Sometimes these things get locked up for years and years, way beyond when it was supposed to be, you know, when it was supposed to be, uh, when you're supposed to have the opportunity to cash out. And, and in other words, you're stuck in an illiquid investment. So, be careful with the private with the private uh, private placements and private investments. They're generally for high net worth individuals, but but they can be tricky to get out of sometimes. Right. Well, again, that's what I was going to ask because I, you know, the, you hear about some of those things that that go sideways, and once you're in, you can't ever get out, and and all of that. But it's it's important, I think, if you're interested in that, you obviously know your way around them and and know what the what the red flags are. Yes, I, I do. And I, and I have dealt with those. I've had a lot of experience with those. Um, and and that's, where, that's where the benefit of working with an advisor that's been in business for at least 20 years, if not 30, because they've, they've probably had experience with a vast, you know, big variety of different types of products, and they can help you avoid, you know, making those mistakes. You know, one of the other things a good advisor can do, you know, for instance, I get people, I, people question, you know, they, they uh, leave a company and they have an old 401k. Right. Sure. And so they'll ask, they'll ask, you know, should I just leave it there or should I move it, you know, move it to an IRA? And, and what a lot of folks don't take the time to do is to look into the, to the expenses that they're paying on their 401k plan. All right. And I'll tell you, I had one, I had one just this past week, a very, very large company, one of the biggest technology companies in the country. Um, and I looked at the, the 401k plan. And what surprised me is that they have a lot of, a lot of the funds inside of that plan have expense ratios that are almost 1%. And I'm saying, I'm saying this is crazy. Why in the world? It's just that's too high, guys. That is too high. All right. Um, in a 401k plan, your expenses, I believe, should be below a quarter of a point, let alone you know almost one percent, because that that can make a big, big difference. So if you look at that, if you're actually in a plan where you're paying one percent on on just on the fund expense, okay, that doesn't count. Um, that doesn't count other plan expenses like record keeping and reporting and admin. If you get a third party administrator. All of those could be additional fees that you might not even know you're paying because they are not transparent with it. All right. And so if that's the case, a good advisor can point that out and say, you know what? 
I can manage that account for you. We could put it into an IRA. I can get you far lower cost investments and it'll actually wind up costing you less than you're paying now, even though you're paying me a fee because I'm able to save the money that you don't know what's you're spending right now. Exactly. Well, exactly. That makes perfect sense. You know, that, I mean, that gets into the whole thing. We've had these discussions before too, about, about fees and how you can see fees that we can't. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, it, for instance, with a, a an inv- somebody like myself, uh, my, my fees are very transparent and I, I take the extra step of sep- sending out a separate invoice, separate from your regular brokerage statement. Okay. And the reason I stress that is because I've met, I can't tell how many people I've met that they don't know, or they don't remember how much they're paying their advisor. And it's because the, the fee that's deducted is buried on like, you know, the middle of page eight out of a 15 page statement or of something. Of course. Yes, of course. You know, it's, it, it's one line in the middle that, that most people don't even, don't even notice. And so they are technically disclosing it, but I, but it's, it's not as transparent as I think it should be. Um, and I don't, and just for the record, they don't have to send you a separate document like I do. I take that extra step because I believe it's important and I want to be as transparent as I can. So I, I'm going above and beyond the requirement to do that because I don't want people to have any question about, you know, how much is it and is it worth it? And, and, and I think that's why people, people have stuck with me for years and they've stayed with me so long. Um, is because they like what they see and they like they, they like the relationship. Well, they like that transparency. And again, I mean, obviously that is certainly, you are the exception, not the rule when it comes to that. But uh, but at the same time, that's one of the other things, one of the many things that sets you apart from, you know, your run-of-the-mill advisor broker. It is, it is. And and, and, I, and I'd be lying if I, if, I said, if I didn't tell you that sometime I've asked myself, you know, if, if, I, if I should be doing it, you know, because because it could be a competitive disadvantage. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody if somebody sees my my bill, right, my fee statement, which is separate, they see it and they say, holy cow, I didn't know I was paying this. I wasn't paying this with my other person. But you were. (laughs) But you were. Yes, you were. Okay, And in most cases, it's higher. Um, It's generally higher at the bigger firms because they've got so much overhead and they got to pay their executive, you know, 20 or 30 million a year. Of course. It's got to come from somebody. Right. Yep. And you don't want you don't want that executive to suffer. So (laughs) never. (laughs) Never. You want them to be able to buy that new yacht. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, so I, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, on a side note, I saw, um, you, you know, the, uh, uh, oh God, what's his name? Eisner. Eisner, the guy, sure. the, the, the boss at Disney yep. is, is, is finally retiring and, and, and stepping away. And Wall Street has really loved him. And uh, it was funny. I saw an interview with him and, and they, they're asking him, so what are you going to do when you retire? You've got all this extra time in your hands. Well, he's like, well, I don't golf. I like to sail. And he, and he says, uh, you know, so um, I like to sail, you know get out of my yacht and you know, I like to do that. <laughs> all right. Think, well, good. Cause we all have and, one of those laying around. Yeah. We all have one of those, right? That's what we like to do too. You know? So I say good, good, good for you. You know, he's, he's, he's done a good job. I guess I, I shouldn't make fun of it, but, but these folks live in kind of a different world than the rest of us do. Sure. So let me yeah. ask you this before we wrap it up here, Kevin, the, uh, the market this week, and I realize we're recording a little bit earlier this week uh, for this Christmas day show um, or the one that will come out just before Christmas, I guess. And, but the market, the first three days of this week have been crazy. And and then oh, today, yes. I mean, so Wednesday there, it kind of is, okay, I'm going to take a breath down and, and, you know, give some of this back. What do you make yeah, of no. all that? Oh no! Quite well. The market, the market's being true to its nature. It's being true to its multiple personality, schizophrenic nature. Okay. And, all right. Fair enough. And 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 the thing, the thing is that everybody sh- sh- wants to realize is that there's many, many times you, you turn on the news, you watch the business news, and and of course the reporter or the anchor, whoever they're talking to, they always have what they think is the reason why 
the market did what it did, right? Of course they do. But truly, it's just a guess. Nobody really knows why it did what it did. All right. You know what news came out. You know what news, you know, what, what was new that day. But the truth is, you've got millions and millions of people all around the world, not just in the U.S., all around the world trading in our markets, right? And then you have the computer, we call them the computer algos, the algorithms that a lot of you quant, you know, they call them the quant houses, the quant brokerage. That's, those are ones that use quantitative analysis and they plug it into a computer program. They put in these certain parameters and they'll use resistance and support levels, meaning on the S&P, for instance, support is around 45, just over 4,500. Uh, resistance is just around 4,700 plus or minus. And so you, if you get a bunch of these computers that all have the same stops triggered, you know, so if, so in other words, if everybody says, hey, sell at 4490 and all these computer programs kick in, that's when you see this massive move in like the blink of an eye, the market moves a thousand points. It's not, it, and in my view, it's not because those are a bunch of individuals trading. Those are large institutions that are using computer programs, algorithms to execute based on a certain number or a certain price that the market is at. And so what's going on is you've got so much happening with the Omicron variant and with COVID. Initially, you know, the markets went down because, you know, it was spreading so fast and, and everybody thought that could lead to, you know, a, a bunch more hospitalizations and things like that. And then we start to hear that, well, you know what, it doesn't seem to be as severe. It's not as bad as Delta and hospitalizations aren't as bad. And so then the market says, oh, this is okay. You know, we, we it's not going to be as bad. So now, so now, now things look good. Um, and then you also have what's happening with the central bank. We're talking about raising interest rates. We're talking about changing the bond taper, like we talked about earlier. So all of these things affect the market's mood every every day, and 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 then you and then depending on which one is prevalent at the time, that's what's that's what's driving the market. But what I said before, uh, I think last week I talked or a couple of weeks ago we talked about the possibility for a Christmas rally, and and I st I still believe that's a very good possibility. It typically starts four days before Christmas, you know, which would be yesterday. Um, and if you go back and look at Stock Traders Almanac, it's something like 70, 75% probability that, I mean, it's done it pretty consistently. It doesn't mean it's no guarantee, right? But seasonally speaking, that's a strong period of year. We talked about the January effect. And so what I suggest, like I talked about before, Steve, is to have a list of what you want to buy, have a list of what you think you would like to own. And then when you see the next market down, you know, 500 points or a thousand points, even though it's difficult, you got to grit your teeth and go in and buy it. And I think that's the smartest way to do it. Buy on the dips, know what you want to buy ahead of time so that when the opportunity comes up, because we know it will, that's when you go in and buy and, you know, cross your fingers or whatever makes you feel good. But you need to be the buyer when the market is, you know, you need to be greedy when the market is panicking. And when the market is fearful, that's when you want to be greedy. All right. Well, that, I mean, again, that's a great way to end this thing, Kevin, as we get into the Christmas weekend. And uh, I yeah. mean, very insightful today. I appreciate it. Oh, not a problem. I hope you guys found it useful. Listen, I hope everybody has a, a wonderful Merry Christmas or a very happy holiday, whatever it is you like to celebrate, and uh, have a safe and prosperous uh, New Year. Provided this for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. The covered material has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 
There are risks associated with every type of investment vehicle. Please read the prospectus and risk disclosures thoroughly before investing. Insurance guarantees are subject to the insurance company's ability to pay. Neither Silverleaf Financial, Kevin Brooker, hosts, and guests are responsible for the usage of information discussed. Security and investment services offered through Silverleaf Financial, members FINRA SIPC. Please consult with an experienced advisor before making any investment decisions.